Okay, well, if you have your Bibles out or your Bible apps open, uh, let's get to, we've been studying, let's get to our table of contents. That's where we always start. You've got an Old Testament, you have a New Testament table of contents. We are studying the book of Romans, which is the sixth book down in your New Testament table of contents. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans, and whatever page that corresponds to, we're going to finish up the last part of Romans chapter number three. So get your Bibles open to Romans 3, and while you do that, contemplate just for a moment. I don't know if you uh, heard about this, maybe some of you did, but on November 7th, so last week, and just try to get your mind around this, last week in California, there was a single winning ticket for Powerball jackpot worth $2 billion, that's with a B, $2 billion. I mean, that's astronomical. One single winner is going to get an amount of money over their lifetime that's going to be astronomically large, $2 billion. I mean, has anyone, and be honest here, have you ever, and I'm, we're, we're, this is about participation, okay? Have you ever just even for a moment let your mind kind of wander, wow, what if I won the lottery? I'm, I'm going to raise my hand. I've done that. It's just like, wow, that would be unbelievable. Two, $2 billion. Would, would $2 billion change your life? I mean, it, it, and of course, some of, those, some of those stories, right, of the lottery winners, oh, it changes their lives. Um, and sometimes it changes them in a way that they spend it all, they squander it all. They, they, in some, some cases, they lose all their relationships and even their own lives. But let's just say that wouldn't happen to us, would it? No, we'd be much smarter with that. $2 billion would change your life. Now, let me ask you this question, and I, I um, want you to think about it for a moment. I'm gonna, let me talk to the Christ followers first. Would you sell your relationship with God for $2 billion? That was quick. No. Okay. Some of you are like going, hmm. <laughs> I get that. Well, to those of you that emphatically said no, really quickly said no, what that means is you possess something that is more valuable than $2 billion. My question is, are you living in light of that? Are you living in light of that? Or is, are, are the things out there in your life that, that, that make you afraid? Are there things that, that make you really angry and you want to get even? Dude, you, you, you possess something that's more valuable than $2 billion. I mean, do you really get upset about much when you've got that kind of value in your life and you possess it? It's yours. Now, let me ask those of you who are not followers of Jesus. Would you entertain the idea of passing up a $2 billion payout for a relationship with God. I, I know there was a time when I would say, no, that's crazy talk. $2 billion, man, that fixes a lot of things. I, I can have a lot of experiences. I can go to a lot of places. I can buy a lot of neat things. That's because for me, life was about here. I'm thankful that God in college changed my mind and, and, and showed me that, no, $2 billion is, is really chump change when it comes to what it means to be in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, as we come to our study in the book of Romans, you got to remember what Paul's been doing. And, and if you've been here for the previous messages, Paul's been like a battering ram to this church in Rome, to people just like you and me, this beautiful church in Rome where people go and they vacation, they see the ruins. There was this church there. And Paul sends a letter and it's read and like a battering ram, he's talking about God's wrath and God's judgment. 
And he says something very sobering. He says to the bad people, to the ones that were forsaking God and running off and doing whatever they wanted, he said, I warn you, God's wrath is going to be upon you. In some cases, it is being already released onto you. And in that church, you remember there were the good people who said, yeah, Paul, tell them. And then Paul says, and to you good people, God's wrath will be upon you. For those of you who do good for the wrong reasons, and you believe in somehow, some way that in your good, you can garner the favor of God, that he'll see you and go, wow, I like you, I'll, I'll love you. Paul, Paul says with a great warning, there is God's wrath and judgment to come. And so we finally get to where, thankfully, thankfully, Paul turns a corner. And just to solidify, if you weren't here last week, look at Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Paul says this. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. And in a moment, we're going to read where he repeats this. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He says, everybody is in the same boat. And you've heard me say over and over here that we're all broken. Every one of us is broken in this room. We might be greedy. We might be uh, bitter. We might be lustful. We might be selfish. And we all know that. I mean, we've all, again, we, we understand it. most of our lives at times is trying to hide that or try to, try to um, by achievement and, and by success and by popularity and by power and by possessions, we, we try to live that down. Or in some cases, we realize it's so great that we just run and we try to forget and we try to kind of numb ourselves through a drink or through a drug or through, through some distraction. We just try to forget that's what it is because we're all there. I'm, I'm right, I might be in the front of the line with you guys. We're broken. And Paul finally, gracefully, graciously, he turns the corner and he says, there's this judgment, there's this wrath out there. He goes, but there's also this incredible spiritual, if I can call it this, lottery. And it's, it's more much more important. It's much more valuable than $2 billion. And so this morning, what I want us to do is we're going we're gonna to look at, uh, and I want you to listen for the, um, listen for the spiritual jackpot. We're going to read 11 verses. Listen for the spiritual jackpot as well as the winning ticket. Okay, so I want you to, as we read this, I want you to listen because Paul turns a corner and, and I want us to realize if we really understand the spiritual jackpot, the, the winning lottery ticket, that our lives could be forever impacted much more significantly and eternally than $2 billion. So verse 21, let me start there in chapter 3. If you'll follow along with me, it should be up on the screen. Again, listen for the spiritual jackpot and the winning ticket, okay? Paul says, but now apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. In other words, it was in the Old Testament, <laughs> That is God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. In other words, no, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. It's, we're all broken. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood 
to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God for Jews only? Is he not also for Gentiles? Yes, for Gentiles too, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do, then, do we then cancel the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold it. Okay, let's go through, and I want to pull out the winning uh, the, the winnings. What, 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 when I say spiritual lottery, what, what exactly? Well, let's go back to verse 21 and 22. Paul speaks of, and, and particularly in verse 22, he says that God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ is given to all who believe since there is no distinction. So let's talk about, and there, there's going to be some big words here. And, I, and I, um, I, I know you didn't come to a theology class but if, but if your understanding and my understanding of God is, is wrong or, or it's, it's ill-informed, well, then at worst, we, we worship an idol. We worship a false God or a God we don't really truly know or, you know, at worst, or that's at worst, at best, we don't worship God in a way that can really impact us and understand what we have in God through Jesus Christ. So the first winning, if you will, is this word called righteousness. And in particular, it's God's righteousness. And what does that mean? God's righteousness, it means right standing. It means that when you win the spiritual lottery, you immediately have a right standing with God. You are right no matter what. And you're, not only are you right, you are given credit for the righteousness of God. Now, how do we understand the righteousness of God? Well, how do we understand anything about God? We looked at Jesus, right? Because Jesus was God in flesh. And so what happens when you become a spiritual lottery winner, you and I, we are given and given credit for the perfect life of Jesus. That's how God sees us. He doesn't see the, the brokenness. He doesn't see the sin in our lives. He sees us now through the righteousness of Christ. It's like suddenly, imagine if your bank account all of a sudden showed up like a trillion dollars. Where'd that come from? You just got it. And that's all. That's it. The bank goes, that's what's in there. Go spend it. Or God puts on like these 3D Jesus glasses. Okay, and he's wearing his, so now he sees Kevin Sullivan. He doesn't see Kevin Sullivan as the person who um, has been selfish at times in his life. He doesn't see Kevin Sullivan as the person who has, who has looked at a woman inappropriately at times. He doesn't look at Kevin Sullivan as sometimes a schmuck of a husband at times. Working on that. He puts on his Jesus 3D glasses and he sees, he sees me as perfect. He sees me as right. I stand before God. My relationship with God is right. And that's 24-7, my friends. And, and just let that sit for a minute. Just let that sit. You get credit for his perfect life. Jesus' perfect life. And then what life becomes is that it's, it's now life becomes working out that perfection that we have positionally, even legally. Um, and we do that in starts and fits, but we, we do that. So, so how does that benefit you? What, what benefit is that up to you? Well, think about the times when your, your self-talk, and it's 
may, it may be self-talk. It might be um, our enemy, our adversary, Satan. Just, he's just shooting his mouth off. And he's accusing you. You liar. You adulterer. You cheat. God can't love you. When, you, when, you just, when those things are happening, you've you got to remember, wait, whoa, hold on a time out. I'm in right standing with God. I, God sees me not the way you're accusing me. God sees me as perfect. He sees me through the righteousness of Jesus. I'm right. I'm, he sees me sinless. You realize, and this is for free. Okay, I'm charging you for all this other stuff, but this is for free, okay? The best preacher you'll ever hear in your life is you. You've got to preach this to yourself. Because when, those, when, those, when that talk starts coming, that negative talk's coming, when Satan is trying to destroy you and rob you of your peace and joy and God of his glory, you've got to preach to yourself. You have to say, no, <laughs> I'm a child of God. I am, I, am, I am sinless in the sight of God because of what Christ has done. You've got to preach that to yourself. That's one aspect of winning the spiritual lottery. Well, what's next? Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, they are justified freely by his grace. Now we're talking about the word justification. We've got righteousness. Let's talk about justification. Justification is a legal term. And what it means is that not only are you made right by Christ, you are declared innocent. In the court of God, the gavel drops, boom, Every time you start to hear those, th those thoughts that you think that, and guilt and shame start to haunt you, just listen for the gavel, boom, the gavel, and God's voice says, innocent, innocent. It's a legal standing in the court of God in which you, my friends, are innocent. There is no penalty to pay for it has been paid. And again, just imagine um, how that can help you as you're moving along and, and, and as these um, these, these thoughts come, these, these, these accusations come, these, these um, worrying about, uh, you know, who you are. You, you've got this, wait a minute, I'm a child of God and I am right before God. And he's declared it in his court. So as the enemy casts aspersions and accusations, you say, I am innocent. Again, you must preach to yourself. Keep moving on. Verse 24, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now we're talking about the third word, big word, is redemption. We're talking about these spiritual winnings. We have righteousness, we have justification. Now we have redemption. And redemption here is actually, it's a marketplace term. And it was often associated with the buying back of slaves or servants to make them free. Now we have to remember back in this time, chattel slavery like we know in our country that's not really what was going on there was a there was a servant slave and that was someone who could not afford to pay a debt that they owed to a particular person or family and so they became an indentured servant and they would serve that family until they paid off the debt and redemption is when someone would circumvent that and would come and would pay off the debt and free the indentured servant and so when we talk about our spiritual lottery winnings here, we're talking about the freedom from the power of sin. You don't have to sin. I don't have to sin. We don't have to lust. We don't have to lie. Uh, we don't have to hurt with our words. We don't have to um, be afraid. We don't have to let our inferiority complex rule and reign. We don't, we don't have to do that. We, we're free from that. Now, we still, we still do it sometimes. 
Because even though we're free, we're not bulletproof now. But we don't have to be that way. You see, through being a spiritual lottery winner, we are given the freedom to not be trapped and enslaved by our own sin, our own selfishness, our own brokenness. So think about when your insecurity flares up, right? When my insecurity flares up and you begin to think, I'm not good enough. You see somebody else that's better than you and you're like, wow, they're really good. And then all of a sudden, yeah, and you're not. Or you see somebody that's really pretty. You go, wow, she's really pretty. Yeah, and you're not. And when that just starts coming at you, and it's, it comes at you, right? You, you might have had it on the way here. You got to remember, wait a minute. Hold on a second here. I have been redeemed. I, 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 God loves me. And how valuable am I? Well, look at the price that was paid. I mean, the value of anything is what someone's willing to pay for it. And God was willing to give up his son to communicate to you how valuable, how infinitely valuable you are. Again, you've got to preach that to yourself. I have to preach that to myself. Is to be reminded, wait a minute, God gave his son to buy me, to free me from my brokenness and sin and shame. And now we get to the last aspect that I want to talk about. And this is a word that you just probably, if I were to ask every one of you in here, I would guess maybe a few of you might be able to come close to when he says, so we've talked about righteousness, we've talked about justification, we've talked about redemption, and then we get to verse 25. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood. Propitiation. You, you got to say that when your lips are dry because you spit on people when you say it. Do you, do you know what it means to propitiate something? It is when you take away the wrath and the anger. So for us to understand, and, and this is hard because people today want to try to soften what some of God's word teaches about God and his wrath. Because what we want to do when we think about God's wrath is we want to kind of think of it as we would think of it as a human as wrath, as, a human, as human wrath. We look at someone who's just flipping out, and that's, how we, that's what, when we think of wrath. We think of someone who's just over the top angry. It's like, chill out, dude. And so we, we kind of cast that on to God, but that's, that's not at all what God's wrath is like. God's wrath is perfectly measured as a holy and just God, and it's perfectly measured against the offense. It's not too little. It's not too much. And we, we were just reading about it a few weeks ago, right? It says that God, in verse 18 of chapter 1, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven. Paul's been talking about God's judgment and God's wrath. And he says in verse, when he, goes, when he says, let's go back here to verse 22. It says that God, that is God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who, who all believe since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall, what, where am I? He says, that, oh, there he says, to demonstrate his righteousness. So God's wrath is to demonstrate his righteousness. It's to, God, he should get angry. We have sinned against God. We have uh, rebelled against God who's perfect. He's holy. And we've said, no, I'm not going to follow you. I don't want to follow you. I want to do it my way. And that's, uh, that's offensive to God. And, and he should get angry about that. And he does. 
and, and his, his, his anger and his wrath shows sometimes. But again, it's perfectly calculated. It's not over-the-top, crazy kind of wrath. We've wronged God. We deserve for him to be angry. And he shows his righteousness, which means his justice. He, he must judge that which is wrong. And we, we can relate to that, can't we? I mean, can we not understand that when someone does something wrong to you, let's just say out, you walk out in the parking lot and someone's just drilled your car. You're like, and, and, and you see them driving off. You're thinking, dude, you just hit my car. I, you know, I, get the license plate. You, you, you need to be held accountable for what you did here to fix my car, right? I mean, if you just, if he just said, hey, I don't, I'm, I'm, no, I'm sorry. It's just a bad day driving. You know, we all have them. All right, I'll see you later. You'd like, I mean, inside of you, like, there's no way. Right? Well, we have been created in the image of God. We have his imprint indelibly marked in us so that we can kind of, even in the midst of our brokenness, we understand what, what justice is. And so God, because he is just, says he demonstrates his righteousness. In other words, he, he judges our sin rightfully by, by committing or, or convicting us and condemning us to death. As he should. But Jesus becomes this propitiation. Jesus absorbs the anger and wrath of God on our behalf. My friends, that is some spiritual winning right there. I mean, think about when someone's hurt you. Let's, let's, let's again, make it really personal. Someone's really hurt you, and you're justifiably angry. And then they come to you. And, and you can really tell they're sorry for what they've done. And they, they apologize, and they say, will you forgive me? And they acknowledge what they've done is wrong. And, and you see they're really hurting by it. You, you can tell they, they, they're making a sacrifice. They're, they're, they're humbly coming before you, and they're acknowledging that. And what does it do to your anger? It, it kind of dissipates it, right? you kind of like, okay, thank you, right? Conversely, those of you that are still waiting for that to happen from someone that's hurt you, and, the, and you're carrying around kind of that burden, you're, again, just testifying to this idea that, it, that there's wrath and wrath is okay and that there can be the relieving of that kind of anger and wrath. And so if God has that against you and me because of our sin, it, it, it's nice to know that what Jesus has done is he's relieved it. He's satisfied it so that God is no longer angry or has any wrath towards us ever. That's the amazing thing about this spiritual lottery that we've won. We, our, our sins have been paid for past, present, and future. It's not like it just wipes the slate clean and says, okay, try it again this time and do a better job, right? No, no, our sins are forgiven. There's no penalty at all. There's no more anger ever. So when you think that you, when you do something wrong, you're going to go out here, I'm going to go out here, and we're going to go home, and we're going to do something really foolish, something that hurts God, and we're going to think, he's mad at me. No, he's not. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus has absorbed all of his anger and wrath. He's not mad at you. Now, Satan wants you to believe he's mad at you so that you kind of cower and you kind of run. You don't want to talk to him and, and, you, and you, you beat yourself up, right? That's what Satan wants you to do because he's robbing God of his glory, of what Jesus has done and being a propitiation to satisfy the wrath of God. I mean, just imagine if you and I really lived out from underneath such amazing kind of lottery winnings so does propitiation really matter it, it really does because you have you have a choice we all have a choice you either can trust what jesus did and 
in, in absorbing the wrath of God or my friends what the scriptures tell us is that you will absorb the wrath of God in hell eternally. I, I say that very carefully. I don't say that flippantly and I, I, I really wish I didn't need to say it. But that's what God's word teaches. So there's the spiritual winnings. There's the jackpot. Now the question is how, how do you, uh, how do you win and how do you collect your winnings? Well, I hope you heard as we were reading a, a word that was repeated rather frequently. Verse 22, that is God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 25, him as a propitiation through faith in his blood. 26, declared righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. And there's many other instances. Faith, faith is the means it's the winning ticket, and it's the means by which we receive the spiritual winnings, the jackpot of the spiritual lottery. It is by faith. Faith becomes the means. It's, it's through faith, by faith, in Jesus Christ. Not in the works of the law, not in how good we are. It's in how good Jesus was. And what's amazing, and just understand this for a second. This is, God has and has worked himself out of a challenging situation. Because a moment ago I talked about how important it is God is just and God must judge sin. If he doesn't, we know in our own personal experience, if a judge does not give out a sentence that's just, we go, that's not right, that's not a good judge. So God, he, he's got that to deal with. But as well, God desires us in relationship and he loves us and wants to be in relationship with us but our sin separates that so how does God simultaneously satisfy his justice which is right and he should and his desire in his heart to love us and be in relationship with us how does he do that together if he does one if he just does justice yep you sin boom then there's no love in that if he just does love I love you and I'm just gonna forget that you sinned well, then he, he's not just, and so he's not God. So how in the world does he do, does he do both? Well, we see this. Verse 25 said, God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. So he's talking about back in the Old Testament when they brought up these animal sacrifices, God was not um, condemning them in that moment, and, and that the human life was not required, animal sacrifices were to foreshadow and to point to something coming because God knew the cross was coming. And then verse 26, God presented him, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous. There it is. He would be righteous, just, and he judges sin. Death is required, but he would also declare righteous and that is the love that, or I'm sorry he would give let me get this straight here said he would be righteous and he would declare righteous so at the cross we simultaneously see Jesus who lived the perfect life and didn't deserve to die but he chooses to die and in his death he satisfies God as a just God but in God giving him up and Jesus giving his up his life up voluntarily to pay for our sins that's the love side of it. so we have the cross is where this this is what makes christianity unique all other faith-based systems and religions they're all trying to do good things to to get to god and impress god god comes to us 
and he does the work for us in the cross in which he satisfies his justice and his love simultaneously. That's how he does both. I mean, Jesus, when he taught us to pray, remember how he taught us to pray? He says, our Father in heaven, there's the loving side of God, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's the, there's the, the, the holy, perfect, righteous aspect of God for who he is and they come together in the person of Christ in the cross of Christ now a question that I had and a question you might have maybe not exactly like this but as you're thinking about it could God have done it a different way and and as a parent maybe you're thinking well when my child comes to me and, and they know they've done something wrong and they say daddy I'm sorry Will you forgive me? And, and, and I say, yes. No, no death involved in that. Why, why couldn't God have done that? Why couldn't God have just said, we come to him, okay, hey, I'm sorry, God. Okay, I'll forgive you. Why, why couldn't it be that easy? Well, we, we have to understand that our relationship with God is much more complex than a parent's relationship with a child. Because one of the things that's really different is that parents are sinful and parents have sinned and they deserve the, the judgment of God, whereas God is perfect and holy and he does not. And so for a parent to forgive a child is because they themselves are also needing forgiveness, whereas for God to forgive a person is not the same because God is perfect, holy, and he's just, and, and to be a just God, he he must judge sin. He, 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 it's inescapable. He cannot get away from it. And so when we put our faith in Christ, that makes all the difference in the world. Now, really important, some of you, when you hear this, you might ask yourself, does that make faith a work? Does that make faith a work? In other words, God's done all this, and Jesus has done all this, and, and, and the way that I cash my ticket in is I put my faith in Jesus' life, perfect life, and his death on my behalf. Isn't that a work of mine? Well, no, it's not. It's not a work. Faith becomes the means. It becomes the conduit by which the spiritual winnings come into your life. Think of this, when you, uh, let's say if I hand you a check for a million dollars, it's only a million, I know two billions out there, but I can only hand a check for a million dollars. I give you a check for a million dollars, and I say to you, it's yours, free and clear, I know you're having a tough time, you're down and out, here's a million dollars. All you have to do is endorse the check. You haven't earned that million dollars, you haven't done anything to, to work for that million dollars, it is a gift that I'm giving to you, I'm just simply saying, all you have to do is endorse the check. Is your endorsement work? Are you earning that million dollars by endorsing the check? No, your endorsement becomes the means by which you are able to get access to the gift. It's kind of like a, a shot. Let's just say that you have a disease and, and a doctor has developed a cure and, and, and you just all you need is a shot in your arm. And, and so there's a syringe with, with the cure inside. Is the shot saving you? No, it's what's inside. The shot becomes the means by which you receive that which is saving you. And that's what faith is. Faith is not a work. It is the method, the means by which these spiritual winnings are delivered. Again, go back to Romans chapter 3. 
If God says in his word that there's no one who seeks after God, all have turned away, all like have become useless, there is no one who does what is good, not even one. That means none of us have the faith. We don't have anything, nothing that can earn for us or merit for us the spiritual lottery winnings. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, let me read Ephesians chapter 2. This says it even more clearly. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift. So your grace is what saves you, God's unmerited favor, God's gift to you, that's what saves you through faith. That's the means by which it comes when you put your faith in that. But Paul's very clear to say again, you didn't do anything. It has nothing to do with you. And then in John chapter 6, 40, 44, Jesus said this. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It's the work of the Spirit of God inside of you that even gets you to think about putting your faith into Jesus. And your faith is not a work. It becomes the means by which you receive the gift of the spiritual winnings from God. So, What's the jackpot? We talked about it, right? What, what, how do we collect? It's faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let's, one thing that we need to mention before I close it out here, because Paul's really, it's really important that Paul makes this clarification. And I want to talk about when you win the lottery, how do you know when you've won the lottery? I mean, most people, they run down, they buy stuff. Some people, though, they, they, you really don't know. They, they kind of keep it hidden. They, they go back to their job. They kind of do the same thing. But a lot of people, they, they live large, right? They just run out and start spending money. Well, what does it look like when you've won the spiritual lottery? What happens? Well, Paul says in verse 31 of chapter 3, he says, do we then cancel the law through faith? In other words, if it's all about faith, well, then do I really need to obey the commands? If it's all about faith, if it's a gift, why do I need to obey the commands? He says, do we, do we then cancel the law through faith? He says, absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And previously in chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says this, for no one will be justified in his sight by the works of law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. He's saying, no, the, the, the works of God are really important. And the law is there. The purpose for the law is to realize you cannot keep it all in your own strength, in your own willpower and effort. You need a savior. And so the law points to our spiritual need for a savior, for Jesus Christ to rescue us. And once he rescues us, that's not just something we mentally ascend to and say, okay, I'll believe in Jesus. It's something that actually happens in your heart. You're, you're born again, the Bible says. And the Spirit of God comes inside of you, and now you're given the desire to obey the commands of God. So we don't just throw out the book because we have faith in this incredible gift of grace. No, we're given the Spirit of God so that we can actually live out the commands of God to Honor the one for what we already have been given, not what we're trying to get. And that, in a nutshell, is the Christian life. Are there things that we're supposed to do in the Christian life that are good? Yes. But we do them after having received the gift of Christ, and we do them for the honor of him not to get something. And that's what religion is. That's what Paul was saying to the, to the Jews in the church in Rome when they were you know, the, the do-gooders. He says, you do good, but you do it to try to save yourself, and you're just as far away as those who have forsaken God to live their lives immorally. And so we have the sign, and the, and the sign that we really truly have won spiritually is there's a desire to obey the commands of God. We want to do it. We start to do it not because we have to, but when we do it because we know we've already been given something amazing. And so, there's your spiritual lottery winnings. 
how do we collect them and what does it look like when we really have won? So my challenge for you this week, one is, let me, let me just, to you that are the spiritually lottery winner, winners, you've, you've won, you, you're already there, um, is, it's important that we purposely reflect on those winnings regularly. We purposely reflect on them. We're mindful of them. We, we, stay, we stay fresh in our thoughts about them. Secondly is if you've never won the spiritual lottery, today, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ on those connect cards. You, you can fill one of those out and just say, yeah, yeah this is what I want. Help me understand what it means to follow Jesus. Just let us know on the back of that card. We'll follow up with you. We won't rush you or push you. We'll just help you in the way that we were helped. But today, I mean, the spiritual, you can win and you can, you can possess in your um, life something that's more valuable than $2 billion. And it will last you eternity. Thirdly is consider, those of you that have won the spiritual lottery, you're a follower of Jesus, but you've never been baptized, would you consider being baptized as a sign that you won God commands us to be baptized. Once we've become a follower of Jesus, just give some thought to that. And then lastly, I'll finish with this. As I was studying this, and I suspect some of you are right here right now, I just explained to you from the scripture, we just read out of God's word that we've been given God's righteousness, that we've been justified and declared innocent that we have been redeemed, bought out of the slavery of sin to be free. And we have had the wrath of God satisfied and taken off of us forever. Do you, does that really matter to you? I mean, as I was, there's been times when I think about, that's, that's what happened to me. Do I, do I sense it? Am I happy for it? Does it change my thinking? Does it change um, how I live? I mean, or do you walk out of here and you've heard that you go, well, that's nice, but that's about it. Because if you're there, and if you're not, you probably will be. And, and I've been there. I'm not there right now, but I probably will be. We go in and out. What happens? Why does something as amazing as that sound maybe so trite? My friends, it's because we're too much here. When our thoughts and our desires and our affections are for the things of here and we're not living with an eternal perspective and a a, a desire to really see eternity uh, and, and Jesus come back, when we're not living with that in mind, the things that I just read to you sound rather, dare I say, boring because we're so focused here. So if that's where you are, and it's where you're gonna be if you're not at times, it's where I have been, it's where I will be at times. The way you make this come alive, and I think God maybe knew this, I mean certainly he wanted us to share our faith with other people because we need to move our faith out, but I I suspect that he knew that as we did that, it kept us fresh with our faith. It reminded us of when we were on the edge of eternity and we took that step to trust in Christ and our lives, our hearts just boom, they blew up. We just couldn't believe what what had happened. And so if you really want this to come alive and to be, be something that's fresh, then we've got to be on the front line of sharing our faith with other people, of telling them these things over and over so that we are in a way telling ourselves again. Okay? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. And I pray your blessing, Lord God, over the teaching and over your words. They're not mine. May they be yours. And I pray they would find their 
way into our hearts and into our heads. For your glory, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we're going to do now is I'm going to ask the band to come on up here. If they're outside there, they should be coming up. Very good. Dave, you're going to... We got a one-man band right here. Um, while they get... A, oh, I'm sorry, Amber. I'm sorry. We have a... There we go. Very good. Um, what I'd like you to do is you've got a connect card. And um, as we sing this next song, on the back of that connect card is a place for you if you have a question, if we can help you with a decision, if, you, if you're making a decision today, um, if you um, have a, a prayer that we can pray for you. That, these cards are so that you can let us know how we can help you. And we want so much to do that. Please give us the privilege of being able to do that. We won't rush you or we won't push you, but take a moment as a song is being sung to fill those cards out. We'll put them in boxes uh, as we leave. Let's continue to worship this amazing, incredibly loving God. <laughs>